Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Holy Shit, You're Fit, and I'm your host, Laura Grossholtz. This is a podcast where I interview entrepreneurs in the health, wellness, and fitness industry. This week, we're going to be speaking to Maurice Cardin, who is a self-help coach and author of Speaking to Yourself with Love. I seriously loved recording this episode. I got to do it when I was in the south of France on holiday with my family. Uh, Maurice Codin happens to be my aunt, so it's been really cool to talk to her about her book and things that we wouldn't normally talk about on a family vacation. Holy shit, Maurice, you're fit. thank you so much for taking the time out of our holiday to talk to me about your book and your journey to to now. Um, So I wanted to start with talking, I know that you grew up in Quebec, but can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? I'd be happy to, and I'm really excited to be here, Laura. It's (laughs) such a pleasure. Well, I grew up just outside of Montreal in a family where we only spoke French, and in a big family, you know, my mother had nine brothers and sisters. Wow. And so in total, I had more than 50 cousins. And mm. so grew up with like big Christmases and, and family affairs. But as I grew up, I was on this little island off Montreal. I, I dreamt of the bigger world. And I had never met anyone who traveled. And from when I was really small, like I was obsessed with going places and exploring. And I would always pack my suitcase and, and just take off, but I'd only make it a few blocks and come home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you needed to get fed again. No, exactly. Or it was bedtime. Or, but I was, I was going to be going places. I really wanted to. So at 14, I got a job as a nanny working in Florida so that I cool. could travel. And I remember being in high school, and I had never met anyone who had gone to Europe. And I heard that some guy had gone to Europe, so I tracked him down to his locker <laughs> to just ask him what it was like. Like it's crazy when you think nowadays people travel so much. But so when I was fifteen, something extraordinary happened that made me realize that in life you don't know at all what's around the corner, and and what amazing things could be awaiting you know waiting waiting for you. So. I had wanted to do an exchange. So I had brought home all, I found out you could go to live in a foreign country. So I brought home all these brochures and I tried <laughs> to convince my parents to let me go. And my dad wouldn't do it. He said, look, I know you're going to be leaving home very young. I'm not ready yet to let you go. And he said, I, I, I'm not going to sign. 
And within about six months, completely out of the blue, my father was offered a position in Greece, in Athens. And he was, it's not even like he was on an international, you know, business track. This company was an American company and they suddenly offered him this job. And about two weeks before I started grade 10, we moved to Athens. Crazy. It was so crazy. And I went from, you know, living in this, what seemed to me like a very boring little suburb of Montreal to suddenly finding myself in this European capital, going to a fantastic school. You know, Greece is such a wonderful country. And it really shaped me in many ways. That's when my life completely changed because I made friends that are still some of my dearest people in the whole world. It also showed me that you really, really have no idea what's possible in your life. So, And, and you were lucky almost because you wanted that. And it was like you thought it to make it happen. I was really lucky. I'm a very lucky person. And I, I repeat that to myself even when things are hard. But, you know, I think luck doesn't just come in things that look beautiful and things that are easy. Sometimes great luck comes to you, but it's in a package we don't necessarily like because it makes us suffer or we're not feeling well through it. But extraordinary things are really possible whether or not you like the way your luck looks, right? What do you think you learned from living abroad? Uh, so many things. I mean... What really hit me then, and this is something that I use now, is that the Greeks, they do many things well, but one of the things that I think that they do the best is that they always take the time every day to connect with people they care about, their friends, their family. Like, there's no way a Greek is going to be working 14, 15 hours a day, going home exhausted, having a cold, solitary dinner, and then getting up the next day and doing that, right? They always take time to sit with people that they care about. Just You know, it could be simple, around a little table, a little coffee, you know, a little ouzo, but they're there to share, they're there to connect, they're there to take time to, to discuss. And I really learned that from my Greek friends. And I try to do that with myself now, to really think that in a day, there's always going to be a pocket of time where I can take the time to listen to myself, to spend a few moments just me. And sometimes it means I'm doing it in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right? That's the time <laughs> I've had. You know, I have a young daughter and life is busy. But I try to really adapt that to my everyday life. When you were living in Greece, is that when you started to really think about how you speak to yourself? Or was that more of a developed skill when you went on to, to start your career? No, that came much later, much later. You know, um, what was interesting to me at the time was the external world. Right, what I could achieve, what I could do, how well I would do at school, how well I would do in my career. Like I had a lot of plans, and there's, uh, you know, I I had a lot of self confidence. I didn't necessarily have a lot of self esteem, but I had a lot of self confidence. So I was really interested in in what I could do, and it, it stayed like that for a very long time. You know, inside I didn't I didn't really have a connection with myself. Like I didn't take time to listen. I was like someone you ignored at all cost, right? So I would take all my time had to be filled with friends, you know, music, movies, working, like but I would never take any time to figure out who I really was and and what I really loved and what I really needed and and even what my inner voice was saying. So no, I was very focused on what was happening to me in the world, not necessarily to me inside. And that came much later in my life. Do you think that's what helped drive you to be so successful within having your own PR agency from a young age um, and being able to grow that business? Was 
that self-confidence? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, you know, whether it was building my own business or even sitting down at, at an interview for a job. If I didn't get the job, I didn't necessarily think it had anything to do with my skills or what I was capable of bringing to the table. I just thought, well, you know, that wasn't just that it wasn't for me. So, yeah, self-confidence helped a lot. But what I found, what really made me start opening my eyes was that, you know, until a certain point in my life, I always thought if you just put in more hours, if you, you know, if you work harder, if you work smarter, if you meet the right people, if the door opens that anything was, everything was possible. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of beautiful successes. You know, our agency did really well. We won awards. You know, I got to live in Japan. I had these all kinds of wonderful experiences. But they didn't change at all how I felt inside. Like, I was often anxious. You know, I found it very hard to be relaxed. I, I think I didn't even know what that was really like. Nothing at all that I achieved would bring that to me. And and when I finally, I'm not saying that I achieved everything I wanted, but when I had a lot of the big pieces in my puzzle that I thought, if only I have this, I'll be happy. If only I have that. When they were there and I still felt the same way, then I realized, okay, something needs to change. This isn't working for me. I, I don't know what it looks like to change this, but this isn't at all what's going to bring me any kind of sense of inner peace or inner love or even just a full feeling that I'm safe and I'm relaxed and it's okay. And I think that's such a good thing to identify and to talk about because I think especially in this world, we're always chasing, ticking all of these boxes, but that's not going to change how you feel on the inside. Whether you get that Lamborghini, that crazy house, all of those things, you need to work on yourself first. And I think with this book that you've written, you've really been able to kind of go through those steps. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about your, your book. Um, and in the beginning of your book, you talk about your labyrinth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you, can you tell me about more about the labyrinth and what that meant to you? I'm a big fan of labyrinths and they started appearing a little bit more you know, all over the world, like there are old tool that was used in the middle ages where people could go walking because, you know, the labyrinth is, is drawn out on the, on the ground, right? So you don't have any decisions to make. You just follow the path. So your mind is free then to really, you know, meditate or to contemplate things or whatever it is that you want to do that, but it helps you as a tool to maybe go inside yourself a little bit more and to also just take the time and space to at that moment, not to be trying to achieve anything or to help anybody achieve anything else. So you're going really inside. So this labyrinth that I like to visit, when I would go there, I would realize that I would take this time and that I could finally feel a connection to who I really was. Just like if you've really spent time with a friend, right? Like with the time we're spending together in the south of France, which yeah. I love. Yeah. Because... We're just here together, yeah. and there's lots of time to chat and play and be together. So the, the labyrinth is a little bit like that for me. And there was a time that I could only feel like that kind of self-connection if I went to a special place. You know, if I went to a retreat center or this labyrinth. But more and more as I practice this kind of like self-care that involves you know, part of it is mind, spirit, body, and really taking care of myself and taking the time to connect, I find that I can create this space inside, that I don't have to be somewhere special. All I have to do is to spend a little bit, a few moments with myself, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm able to get that feeling that I had only before when I would go to, you know, quote unquote, somewhere that would help facilitate it. And I love that you talk about creating space because I think that's really a, a thing that we need to do more of in this world is just create space for ourselves and our thoughts and just allowing a safe space for that. And I think when you talked about a safe space, I, I want to understand more about what are the skills involved in creating a safe space for yourself? Oh, that's a beautiful question. And I wanted to say that you just did that a little bit for yourself. Because before we did this interview, you said, I'm, I want to go outside, sit on the grass, and take time and space to really feel this interview, explore what I want to talk about. So I can see you're doing that as part of your life practice and work practice. It is, yeah. I want you to imagine if you're living with somebody, and that person's a real bastard. And every time you propose something, they turn it down. Or every time you get dressed, they tell you you're looking really bad or you're looking fat. And you're constantly being criticized. So your space, your home would not be a safe space for you, right? It wouldn't be a place where you have support, where you have kindness, where you have compassion. It wouldn't be a space that's really kind of brings out the best in you, okay? And it's serving your health and it's serving your right life. So Let's take that example within yourself. So if inside I'm constantly criticizing myself, putting myself down, then it becomes like that inside, but it's even worse because you could never get away from that person inside. So what I'm trying to create is that when I go inside, it's a safe space, that there I find compassion, that there I find kindness, that there I find someone that just kind of holds my hand through difficult stretches. Because before, if in the day I'd had, let's say, 50 successes at my PR agency, you know, for those in PR, you know you're constantly putting out fires and running around. And if I had made one mistake, or even if something had turned out in a way that was like a failure, even if it had nothing to do with me, I would blame myself. Yeah. So all I would do that evening is replay that mistake or that failure. And, you know, and so I wasn't a safe place for myself. Yeah. Right. And plus feeling it all the time with noise, with noise, with thoughts, with craziness almost. It wasn't safe because it wasn't quiet in there. Right. Yeah. So instead of my inside being a place where I can be, you know, celebrated sometimes, but also just loved. It was just a place where I was getting abused. I was getting stressed out. Like basically I was treating everybody else much nicer than I treated myself. Yeah. So that's what it means for me, like a safe inner space. And I I really like that you said about celebrating yourself, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that and afraid to celebrate their successes. And I think it's human nature to focus on the negatives almost. So if you did have 50 successes, then let's, let's talk about those. Like internally, let's go... Yeah, okay, we made one mistake, but hey, we made 50 good things happen as well. So I really, I really admire that, that you do that and that you've learned to do that and you're sharing that with other people. Well, you're right. Celebration is such an important part of who we are, right? So, and your, your brain is, there's a bias towards negativity and we're wired like that from old times so that we would survive that, right? We would remember things that went wrong and So to celebrate, to really notice what you've done well. And it can be little things too, right? I got myself to work on time. Even if I felt like sleeping, that's a success, right? I ate well, or I was really kind to that person. 
You know, so it doesn't have to be these huge things because in a day, there's hundreds of things that you could celebrate that you've done well, or even that life has offered you, right? It's not if you're doing, but you had a seat, right? Yeah. On your commute, or the sun was shining, or you saw a beautiful flower, whatever it is, whether you've created it or it came to you, to take the time to notice them and to really say, wow, isn't that fantastic? And didn't I do great? Really can start a movement, an energy inside you where you'll want to do it more and more and you'll notice more and more all of the things that you are doing well. I was going to say that it sounds like you're already moving on to the next step because when you're able, this is what I found is that when I'm able to see the good and to kind of congratulate myself on little wins, I'm able to see that on a bigger level. So outside of myself and be excited for the people around me. And I want to see the good in everyone else as well. So it brings out a better energy within yourself and within your relationships. Absolutely. So this work, you start with yourself, but it, then it shines out, right? Because as you're someone exactly who's been trained in a way, because all of this, it's a practice. You do it every day or as much as you can until you become better and better at it. So to celebrate these successes, to have joy for yourself and others and little things, it just creates this ripple effect. And it's a practice to try to be happy for other people. It really is. But it's a beautiful thing. It's hard to do sometimes, especially if they have something that you really wanted. But... Imagine if you are able to be happy for other people or celebrate their success. It means you're happier way more often. You're celebrating yeah. way more often. You're having way more fun because they're doing things almost for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, it's, I think it's easy to say, like, to, to celebrate yourself. How do you do, I know that you talk in your book a little bit about being your own best friend. Mm-hmm. And, what are kind of the key practices that you facilitate into your life in order to be your own best friend? Well, I started looking at the people that I really love, you know, my best friends in my life. And some of these friendships I've had since I was born, like one of my cousins I'm really, really close to and other friends I've had since I was a child. And I look at how we treat each other why we're still friends, right? How we speak to each other, how we listen to each other, what we appreciate in each other. And I started wanting to apply some of those things to myself. So for instance, you know, my best friends, they don't care so much what I look like, right? Whether I've gained five pounds or lost five pounds, they're excited for me when I'm feeling good and I'm happy and I bought a new dress and I feel great in it. Like they're participating in that. Yeah. But the way I look has... Nothing to do with why they're friends with me, really. Also, they don't spend their whole time judging me, right? You could have done this better, you know? They just kind of are there. And they're not just also... Because um, sometimes people think self-talk is only about affirmations or about encouraging yourself. And it's certainly a part of that, right? But they're not spending their whole time coaching me and encouraging me. Sometimes things happen and they really suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just... You know, you didn't see it coming or whether you did or not. And they sit with you in it, right? You've had just had a breakup. Let's say it's hard. Your heart's broken. You know, your whole life, the way you saw it happening now is going to be shifting. 
And a good friend just sits with you with it, right? Yeah. And lets you have that space to not feel very good, to heal, to... So I try to apply these things to myself, but I really learned through, because I'm, I'm, again, talking about, you know, good fortune and celebration. I have these beautiful people in my life that that I love, that who love me. And so I just started to look at what that looked like on the outside and apply it on the inside. I think you will find that, you know, I, I didn't want to, more to live with a double standard. Yeah. You know, there's a way I treat others, but then inside it's a different thing. Like it's not a true life. It wasn't authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that leads on to when you talked about how there's all these different parts of your personality. So there's an anxious side and a bossy side and a side that likes to have a few glasses of wine and yeah. dance in the yeah. streets. And sometimes those sides, like you think that you need to be like ashamed of. So you want to hide the, maybe the bossy side, yeah. but actually that's a part of your personality and you've learned to accept it and actually love that part of yourself. And I I think that that part really stuck with me because I think that you don't want to just put those things aside. There's a reason that you have those parts of your personality. So when did it click for you that you should no longer be ashamed of those things and that you want to really value them? Oh, you know, that's still an ongoing practice, but that's what I aim for, right? You know, I think that shame is so difficult because often we're raised to be shamed, you know, because, you know, parents want us to behave or maybe there's something we're doing that's not good for us. But often shame is used. You know, you should know better or you're a bad girl. Yeah. Or don't do that. So part of you starts hiding things that you don't want to see. You don't want others to see. You think you're not a good person because you have them. Yet all those parts, they serve you. There's a reason they're there, right? And on their flip side, they can be the part of you that helps you the most. Like, for instance, I do have a part of me that's very anxious, okay? Okay. And often I try to keep that hidden from other people, okay? And and I'm not proud of it. And sometimes it makes me behave like in ways that are impatient or because I'm feeling anxiety at that moment. Or there's some people I find it really hard to be around, even they're the nicest people, but they're so anxious that it seems to bring out part of me that I still haven't come to full terms with, right? However, that part of me that's kind of vigilant and anxious really serves me sometimes. Like when there's an emergency or something like that, I'll be the first to notice that there's something happening, that there's something wrong, that somebody needs help. Yeah. Right? And I'm able to step up and help them out. And so parts of you that you don't really like really are wonderful in some instances, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I try to look at it like I'm one consciousness. I'm one person, okay? And I have many parts in me, like an orchestra. And I'm trying to, like, create more harmony and more music that suits me, that's more authentic. So I, when a part suddenly starts playing like crazy, I'll try to be curious about it. Okay, why are you anxious right now? What's going on? To take some detachment from it, too. Because all Mm -hmm. these voices, you're not any of these voices. You're the one who hears them and who listens to them, okay? So you're not the voice that's anxious or you're not the one that's like feeling powerless, but you have these parts, these voices inside you. So to try to get some detachment and then to work with it 
And to even if I even if I'm not fully like delighted to have that, to still come up with compassion. Like for instance, you know, I'm a mom, you know, you have your little yeah. cousin, and <laughs> I hold that to a very high standard. It's really important to me that I that you know I raise Eloise in a certain way and I make mistakes all the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'm so ashamed with how I treated her. Let's say that I lost my temper or something like that. And before I would not let it go. How could you have done that? You should have, let's say, walked away before you got so mad at her. Yeah. You could have used this. You have different tools. And now another voice comes up. And she also, there's still the one that's judging a bit, but another voice comes up that has so much compassion for the mom who's trying so hard and yet makes mistakes all the time because she's human. Yeah. So there's another one in the conversation. So I can listen to two now. So I'm like, wow, this really hurts you when you do that to her, doesn't it? <laughs> so I can have more than just, oh, I'm going to shame you. Yeah. Because if I think if I shame you so much, you'll never make that mistake again. Because that's what shame's trying to do in a way, right? Yeah. So... That's a little bit more how I try to see curiosity. Why is that happening? Why am I feeling this way? What have you got to tell me? So if I feel really anxious, I'll ask myself, is there something I'm not seeing right now? Why, why are you so agitated or why are you so triggered? What's happening to you? So to see it again as I'm the orchestra leader and some instrument starts, you know, just going nuts playing and then, but I'll ask that player, what's going on right now? Yeah. And if I can't do it at that moment, I'll try as soon as possible to remove myself. And go ask myself inside or write about it or use different techniques that I have to just touch base. So sometimes I can't change it. But just the fact that you're listened to changes everything. Do you and find that if a friend just listens to you that it changes everything? Yeah, just hearing hearing your own answers. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you ask yourself these questions, mm-hmm. do you always get the answer right away? No. No, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's not clear. But just the fact that I'll have the conversation like this, let's say, so I'll give you an example. Wow. Okay. I'm feeling your, I see you're feeling really anxious. What's going on? Okay. I'm not getting an answer. You're anxious. I, I'm acknowledging that. I want to tell you I see it. Okay. And I'm going to help you right now to calm down a little bit. Okay. So I can engage in different ways. Even though I don't know the source of it, I could still tell myself, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to remove myself from this situation. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to take my shoes off. We're going to walk in the sand. And I'm going to help you just chill a little bit. Okay? Yeah. So we think that all of us knows what's going on. But it's not true. It's really an inner conversation. They're showing with neuroimaging that part of your brain hears everything the other part's saying. So just like you would tell someone like who's so worked up. Okay, why don't you have a seat? I'm going to give you a glass of water. Take a deep breath, right? Yeah. And we're going to figure this out together. Yeah. Right? You can do that with yourself. And part of you just being heard, just being acknowledged can relax a bit. You're no longer alone, right? Yeah. Someone has shown up to be there for you and with you. So sometimes it's that. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. It's too complicated or I don't have the answer right away. Yeah. But I know how I feel because now I take time to... Because as soon as a conversation starts, you'll know because your body's giving you a sign. Yeah. So your body's kind of the transmitter of it, right? You get tightness or your tummy hurts or your shoulders suddenly drop. Like something in your body is going to tell you my inner conversation now is going in a way 
that's hurting me or that's I'm ashamed now or that I'm anxious or whatever it is your body will tell you. I think that's so important. Um, I know that you talk about being aware of your connection between your mind and your body. And if someone was just beginning on this journey of trying to understand their self-talk and how their body connects with their mind and the things that you need to do to kind of get those in a good space and understand your body, what will be the first steps that you would say in taking in understanding your body's effect on your mind? Oh, that's a lovely question. You know, I, I give a lot of workshops and during one of them, one of the exercises that we do is to see what signal your body is giving you when you're having a certain kind of self-talk. Okay. So we'll practice using situations that are not so important to you, right? Because then it's harder to, so we'll pick a situation that's out of 10, that's a three or four, something that's more annoying to you than anything else. You know, okay. Maybe your roommate doesn't do the dishes, like something yeah. that, right? Okay. It's not a terrible childhood memory or it's not it's... like this huge shame at work, right? It's something smaller. So we'll practice that going into that situation, thinking about that situation, and then really noticing what's happening with your body. Okay. So as you, you know, you're thinking you're coming home that again, the, the dishes are all, all over the counter and, and the sink and it's gross and it's annoying. So how do you, what's going on in your body? Do you feel tightness? And then, then you can go in and see what are you saying about it? What's the conversation you're having about it? Because often it's like a head DJ, like my friend calls it. It's going on and on and on. And you're not even noticing what you're saying. So once you have a signal with your body, you can go and check, okay, now what, are, what am I saying to myself about these dishes? Like, what's the story I'm inventing around it? My roommate doesn't care about me. My roommate doesn't respect me. My life is out of control. You know, you might have this whole story that's way bigger than someone's just being lazy about doing the dishes, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you catch the story, then you're able to more look at it and say, wow, you know, I'm telling myself that I'm not important, right? Or I'm telling myself that, you know, I, I'm not worth having a place that's clean and organized, that this, you know, whatever it is, the story, sometimes the story is way bigger than this little situation that we thought was the problem. So taking a, taking a situation and take, again, separating yourself from it and understanding why you're having these thoughts. Yeah. Or what they are. Sometimes you don't know why, but what are they? Yeah. What are you saying about that? What are you saying about yourself when it comes to that? What's, what's been going through your mind all the time as you, as you're faced with this? And also again, it's taking stock and really looking at what the signals are. And once you start practicing it, Sometimes you can jump right to, I'm, I'm feeling this and this is what I'm saying to myself right now. When you get these signals yeah. of, I think I'm going to start feeling this way. Yeah. Do you want to allow yourself to feel out those emotions and then have that self-talk? Or do you want to shut it down and talk yourself out of it before you get there? That's a good question again. Imagine a friend that's coming to you with a problem. Okay. And finally opens up and says, this is what I think about it. This is how I feel. I don't think the shutdown would ever be the great, you know, the first great move, but sometimes you may need to calm yourself down a little bit before you can look at it. But I believe in acknowledging it mm -hmm. as the first step. 
This is how I feel. This is what I'm saying. Then you can take steps to, because if part of you wants you, it's all communication, right? That's why I'm fascinated by it. It's always been my field, right? So self-talk is a form of communication. So if part of you is trying to get a message across, shutting it down is not going to work. It's just going to try another way to communicate with you. It's not going to stop. It's not going to give up. But it might get more and more desperate to get you to notice it, right? Like it might start constantly making you feel shame so that you pay attention, right? So they say it's like, you know, someone comes to the door to deliver a message and they knock softly. You don't open the door. They knock again. They keep knocking louder and louder and louder until suddenly they blow the door open so that they're never going away. They want acknowledgement. They want a connection. They want to show you things that they think are good for you, these voices. So I would say that always at least say to yourself, even just saying that to yourself uses another part of your brain. So when I'm anxious, even just to say, I'm really feeling anxious right now, helps me to calm down a little bit right away. Yeah. Okay? Because you're using another part to manage if you want to be the orchestra leader. Within managing, yeah. is do you have a daily ritual to keep your mind open and growing and in this state of continuous conversation. Yeah. It's like we talked about before. It's taking the time and space, you know, to write in my journal, you know, I meditate, I, you know, go for walks and I try to slow things down because like you said, life is just so full and so fast. And I need that time to, I just take the space and time and what it looks like any given day might be different. But I try to give myself that time. And the more that I do it, the more I need that. You know, like you are taking such good care of yourself and you're exercising. And I'm sure that if you go too long without doing it, your body's telling you and your mind, move me. Yeah. Move me. Totally. So it's the same with this practice. I miss it. Like I would miss someone that I really love that's not around. Right. Or suddenly I'm feeling really off. Yeah. And I realized, wow, I, I'm not, I haven't taken the, I was too busy all day. Now I, I'm going to take some time now because nothing else brings me that kind of calm that I need. Yeah. And it can involve also moving my body a lot, you know, swimming and dancing. But there has to be some time for me where I'm really just listening or just sitting in meditation when things are more quiet. And, you know, it's a bit like, imagine if you had a lake. And at the bottom, the lake is you, right? And we're quite deep. And at the bottom of it, you don't want to see what's there. So you keep churning the water and, you know, like, <laughs> the lake, and the mud's flying everywhere in the water. You don't want to see. And then if you let it be quiet and everything settles, you can see what's going on. You can feel it. You can experience. So you may not like that there's a couple of car wrecks down there, right? You might be like, whoa, but it's okay, right? You can... It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Much better than desperately trying to not have a sense of who you are and what your life is and what you want, right? Yeah. Some of it might be a little painful, but then you can also live through that, heal through that. But if you have no idea, then you're, I was, I'd spent so many years just churning the water. And it was a relief actually when I stopped doing that so much. And then when those feelings do come back in, where you have let the water calm, you now know how to, to manage them. And I guess that's one of the, the biggest things. Is that one of the biggest things that you want people to take away after they read your book? You know, if I just had to say one sentence, I would be like, just give yourself a break, right? 
give yourself a bit of break. Just a little bit more kindness, a little bit more compassion, a little bit more the benefit of the doubt even. Yeah. You know, believe a little bit more. Start believing more in your own goodness, right? In your own capabilities and just your good intentions. Like start according some value to that. Mm-hmm. But just give yourself a little bit of a break. Give yourself a break. Yeah. I love that. Looking at kind of the next five years, what what's your what's your life going to look like? You know, I, I want to continue on the same path. You know, I think some things they take a lot of time to realize. You know, you just keep watering and pruning and watering and pruning and one step after the other. Um so right now I've almost finished a book that it's for self-talk for women who are on the fertility journey or having trouble conceiving or are bringing a baby to term. And that's been a beautiful experience writing that and, and talking to women who have been through this journey and, and as I was for many years. So um, also I want to continue giving workshops and I'm working with a teacher and we're developing self-talk tools for children. Yeah. Cool. So that's really important to me because a lot of it starts when you're really young. Yes. So I'm, that's my next big project is figuring out how you take a lot of this theory and techniques that work for adults and making them relevant to little minds and little kids and making them more fun. And so, cause I think that if you grow up with, you know, learning how to give yourself a break, learning how to have more space in your heart and your mind and also just being more compassionate with yourself, like it can be a beautiful way to, to grow up. So, and I can see that some kids start really young by being very hard on themselves and very critical of themselves. And so I, I'm hoping that I, these tools that we implement can just be first kids as young as possible. I love that you're doing something that's also helping others and helping a younger generation that must bring a lot of self-worth to you and a lot of like you're bringing the love back to yourself in a way that that's a lovely way to put it but you know i i, I want to be of service you know i have i i have i'm so fortunate in my life i have so much abundance so much love so much friendship so many opportunities so many doors have opened for me i'm a teacher so it's important to me to help others but you know just the idea that i can help anybody else you know one person at a time just have a bit of a better life that's makes me feel like life is worthwhile so i want to stay on this journey with you i want to watch you grow i want to see what happens and i'm sure all of our listeners want to stay up to date on your projects and learn and grow with you so how can we find you selftalklove.com and from there, you'll find all the information about it. I give webinars, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, with my daughter being young, I, I like to stay close to home. Yeah. So uh, I'll do online workshops, and also there's a lot of information on Facebook. But if you go to my website from there, you you can navigate to anywhere else you want to go. Thank you so much for being on Holy Shit, You're Fit. It's been so nice talking to you, and I really can't wait to see where you take this. Oh, it was so great to talk to you, Laura, and I love your podcast and what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to listening to lots more episodes. Maurice, thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to Holy Shit, You're Fit, and I hope you really enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people can find it and I can keep sharing these episodes with you week after week. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Shit Your Fit. Thanks, guys. See you next time. This has been a Candy Store production for Laura Grossholtz. 2AM by Kenny Floyd appears under Creative Commons 3.0 and you can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.